Those online and those in the house of the Lord, I greet you today in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, before we go to the Lord in prayer, I'd like to share a little thought with you. In Matthew chapter 28, no, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 20, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavily laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. As we go through our Bible study tonight, please keep in mind this thought. Keep this thought in your mind, in the front of your mind tonight. That we are here to acquire some knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is what we are here for. We come to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I say some knowledge because as Jesus says in John chapter 16 verse 12 to 13. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that he speak. And he will show you things to come. Continuing from verse 29 of Matthew chapter 11, he says, I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And in John chapter 5 verse 39 he says, Search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15. Paul's admonition to everyone is to study. To show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, to rest means to cast all your cares upon the Lord Jesus Christ. By placing all your burdens in God's hand so you can enjoy his provision of forgiveness and everlasting life. A yoke is a wooden bar harness to neck of a pair of oxen to bring them under submission and to enable them to do the work that the farmer has for them to do. To train young or younger oxen, farmers would yoke them together with older experienced oxen. When you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, he gives you rest in terms of your salvation. When you accept the yoke, of discipleship, which is what we are doing tonight in our Bible study. When you accept this yoke of discipleship, you find rest and experience, um, you know, in your life, in your daily life. You find that in your daily life when you accept this yoke of discipleship. People need to be discipled. If we want to, if we want to experience great things in our lives, we need to be disciples. Thank God that he has provided somebody that can disciple the sheep that he has purchased with his own blood. Amen? And another reason is, in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, the Lord says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. Anybody here want the Lord to forget their children? Okay. 
Well, we need to know what does say the Lord. Amen? We need to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we want to see our children saved. Amen. Well, tonight, if there's any prayer requests, those online, we can send in to AV. Anyone with a prayer request tonight, you can indicate by the raising of your hand. Lord knows the desires of your heart. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can think or ask of him. So let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. For he is able. O precious Savior, mighty Redeemer. We come once more before your throne of grace, almighty God, to honor you, to worship you, and to praise you. Lord, we come in faith tonight to lift up your holy name and give you praise. O Lord Jesus, we come tonight to offer up to you the sacrifices of thanksgiving and praise for you alone are worthy, O Lord. You are worthy to receive all glory and honor and power, for you have created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were created. Thank you, Almighty God, for renewing your mercies to us today. Lord, we thank you, Almighty God, for giving us this opportunity to come together, Almighty God, so we can study to show ourselves approved unto you as workmen that need it not to be ashamed, right to dividing your word of truth. O Lord, in faith we call upon you tonight, Almighty God, asking that you touch our hearts and our minds, Almighty Father. Help us, Almighty God, to continue to walk worthy of your calling. O Lord, draw us closer to you, Almighty God, and help us, Almighty God, to walk worthy. Help us to be fruitful in every good works and increase in the knowledge of you, Almighty God. Lord Jesus, in faith, we pray for those that have a prayer request tonight, those that are sick in their bodies. We ask, Lord, that you reach out and touch them, Almighty God. Let your healing virtues flow through your people tonight, Lord God. O Lord, remove all sickness and all diseases, Lord. O precious Savior, in faith we pray, Almighty God, that you forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our shortcomings and our failures, Lord God. Cleanse us, Lord, of all unrighteousness. O Lord, forgive us for every sin that we have committed, knowingly and unknowingly. Lord, we ask in faith that you help us to be holy as you are holy. O Lord, we ask in faith that you touch our hearts and our minds tonight. Help us to receive your engrafted words with meekness, Almighty God. O precious Savior, in faith we pray that you renew a right spirit in us tonight, Lord God. Heavenly Father, we ask in faith for your guidance and your directions, Almighty God, as we study your word. Touch the man of God tonight, Lord. Help him, Almighty Father, to remember all the things that you have prepared for your people. Oh, Lord, touch our hearts, touch our minds, Lord God, and help us to be faithful. Help us to continue to walk worthy of your calling. Lord, have your way, have your way in the service tonight, we pray, as we give you all the glory, the honor, the praise, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The church say amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. We know it's a Wednesday. We know it's a few of us. But come on, let's give the Lord some praise. Hallelujah. I count on one thing. The same God that never failed will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late, he's working all things out. Working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy. 
We praise and magnify his name. Welcome to our midweek. We can say midweek and really actually be legit. We used to have Bible studies on Thursdays, and we say that was our midweek, but that wasn't really midweek. Um, and today, well, these days we can say um, hump day. Who didn't know what hump day was? Bradley didn't know. Sister Crystal thought it was Thursday. We're all struggling on Wednesday. <laughs> People go home and their routine is all messed up. I heard some of you thinking that the next day was Friday. For over eight years, for over eight years, we came to church. Our midweek was Thursday. And so we got accustomed to the next day was Friday and all kind of things. And since we've been here, we've been doing Wednesday. So it's taken a while to sit in. And for us to be able to say, all right, this is actually midweek. Tomorrow is Thursday. Amen. And so we're working our way toward the weekend. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, it's good to see everyone. I pray that um, God is doing great things in your life. And 
he certainly is doing some great things in our church, and we thank him for it. Amen. I don't know if you notice um, another project is down. Amen. We got our double doors. Amen. You didn't notice, huh? <laughs> we got our double doors, and so you don't have to worry about a thing now. And then we can get, we can just open two doors and all the traffic can come through. Yeah. But of course, it never stops. You know what? I need, I need y'all to keep praying that God will get somebody to just give us 50 grand or something like that. Just a big check of $50,000. Because there's so many little things that need to be done. Because once you do that, then more thoughts come that we need to make a double door right there. Because once we, you know, get the bathroom rectified, you know, if somebody come in here that is in a wheelchair and, they, and they're a male and they want to go to the bathroom. So I don't know why I think about these things. Help me. <laughs> so if we can just pray that God will still send us people that will just plop down some money. We, we can use a $50,000 check. Our HVAC unit, in case you didn't know, um, one of the things we, um, um, we knew coming in was that um, the, the, the owner, the previous owner, um, had installed a brand new HVAC system for this side of the building. The other two HVACs, um, they were fine. They didn't need any repairing. But ours was shot. But we have some good brothers in the church, and somebody was able to jerry-rig ours to be able to pump heat out. And so since it was wintertime, I didn't think it made any difference for anybody to worry about that. And so we're like, well, it's wintertime. Heat is being pumped out. We're good. And then last Sunday when it started getting hot, I said, mm-mm. And so that started get, getting me nervous because I said, you know, the days start getting hot. What are we going to do? But um, it's changing back up, you know, and hopefully we can hold out for probably another two weeks or so. But we're going to have to install a, a, a HVAC system. $12,000. That's how it go. You know, so um, some people might have said, some of you might say, yeah, we should just stay in the fire station. <laughs> yeah, all right, just checking. <laughs> okay, well, 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 you know, ask the Lord to, you know, make a way for you to give. Because, um, but we'll be fine. It's just, it's just when you first get in, you got to realize that we're in a building that was not a church. And so we got to make it the way we need to make it. And so up front, there's some things that we have to do and make it all good. And then probably probably by, by June, um, we should have all of our projects done. And we won't have to do any major projects by June. But if we will continue to be faithful in our giving and continue to pray that the Lord will um, you know, bless us financially as well as in every way that he's blessing this church, that will work just fine. So we thank God for everything that he is doing. Thank God for all of you, for your faithfulness. Um, I need one more favor. Um, let's, let's try to be a little bit more intentional. I like that word. Intentional when we see um, the folks that we're connected to on Sundays to say, am I going to see you Wednesday night? You know, don't, don't force nothing. But just kind of make mention of it. Will we see you Wednesday? What's Wednesday? There you go. And because, um, you know, we're on our fifth, I believe, lesson on making disciples. And I believe it's a crucial, crucial 
um, um, there are, they have been crucial lessons that we should be hearing, everyone should be hearing um, in their Christian walk. It's, not, it, it's a biblical concept. It's not a, you know, a man-made you know, idea and, and some great you know, knowledge of something that man came up with. This is a biblical principle that gets overlooked, and we need to make it a major part of our um, Christian life. And so, you know, just make mention of it, and hopefully we can get some more people to hear this or guide them toward um, the podcast, um, um, whatever recordings that we have out there, guide them toward it so they can listen to it, because I believe these are some really, really important lessons. Um, you may be seated. We're going to look into um, the same subject we've been talking about for the past Four weeks, and so tonight um, we're continuing with our theme, making disciples. And tonight we're going to give a subtitle of the game changer, the game changer, <laughs> the game changer. It is something else. Um, leaders, I gave you a, um, and I don't usually do this, but I just think this is um, so good. Um, I posted a video in our leadership chat today. It's about 42 minutes long. You don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss it. You don't. Want, you want to. You want to spend that 42 minute listening to those 42 minutes listening to that video I sent to the leadership today. Very, very, very good stuff. Very, very good stuff. He 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 dealt with. Um, a lot of things, but one of the things I really, really appreciated is when I almost got to the point of frustration doing, um, what was that, our last election, where I was watching how Christians um, were fighting with one another over political elections. He dealt with that, boy. He dealt with that because I just knew it was wrong. And, you know, we know how to dress things up. Sometimes, unfortunately, as Christians, um, to try to spin things to make it um, sound spiritual or to make it sound biblical. And so we, we tend to do that as Christians, and uh, we, we just need to just look at the book and see what it says or, or look at the life of Jesus Christ and see what he did. And um, that will clear up a lot of things because we're quick to say how, you know, the times are different. But what Jesus established for us, it, it, it's, it's beyond time. So when we, when, if we ever find ourselves trying to you know, explain away the difference between the time as to why we do or not do, that, that is not a good thing usually. Because what God has given us, he understood that it would work in every uh, chronological, chronological time um, that will be upon the earth. And so um, his time, his, his word and what he gives us is not, um, is not outdated. So let's look at the game changer. Jesus did not employ any of the measures that are often used today to plant and grow a church. He mailed no flyers. He wrote no letters. He took out no billboards, nor did he write a book to gain popularity. 
He did not do any of those things that are typically done today to gain prominence within the community. So we know, um, and some of us have been a part of efforts to uh, take the gospel to people by doing a lot of different things. We have had block parties. We've, we've, we've uh, you know, say whoever invites the most guests and uh, we give them something. And we've done a lot of things to kind of uh, get people involved. We have done billboards, you know, put up a billboard and you'll see people um, try billboards, um, you know, giving out um, um, flyers or even a track. And all of those things, we're not saying they're wrong. What we're saying is they're not the method that Jesus used. They're not the message that Jesus used. He modeled a method that is sustainable and reproducible in any culture and any generation. He used the disciple-making ethos that was already established in the mindset of his culture. Why reinvent the wheel? It is likely that nothing will ever be more effective in reaching the world than disciple making. Listen to this. This is, this is something that I felt like I needed to mention to you. Why are we settling for okay or even good when we have best? That's, that's kind of the thing that we have to challenge ourselves to say, am I just doing what's okay? Am I just doing what, what, what's enough or what's acceptable? Am I just doing because, you know, this is enough? Or am I doing what's really the best? And as Christians, you will see God already look at us as the very best. And so he wants us as his very best to do the very best. And so we have to challenge ourselves. We might have areas in our life where we might just be, you know, we do things from an okay level or we, you know, we just do just enough. But however you want to do some of the things in your life, that's up to you. But when we're talking about the things of God, they should never we should never do what's okay or what's good. We should do what is the very best that God has said we need to do. And so when we're talking about reaching our lost world with the gospel, it's great to try all these other methodologies. But the one that's going to be effective is the one that Jesus told us we need to do. And that is to make disciples. That's what he told us. So we can try all the other things, but he told us to make disciples. One of the reasons why disciple making is the best sustainable and reproducing method to reach our world with the gospel is because it is relational. All right, let me help you out a little bit more. It is by establishing a and maintaining a relationship that we can make disciples of Christ. Watch this. 
God created us as relational beings. Somebody say amen. That we would have relationship with him and with each other. But watch this. This is all stuff that I feel like God was just speaking to me today. But most of the methods we apply to reach the loss do not necessarily requires us to establish and maintain relationships with others. That's what's plaguing us. Because relationship is work. Relationship is work. Relationship is work. Whether it's your relationship with God, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your children, your relationship with family members, relationship with friends, relationship is work. And so, anytime we can get out of some work, we try to get out of it. And so the reason why discipleship Making disciple becomes secondary and thirdary for us is because we don't want to do the work. For me to give you a business card from the church is not work. It doesn't require relationship. For me to invite you to church, it's not work. It doesn't require relationship. When you come through the door and for me to pray for you a little bit and tell you, hey, you need to come back, doesn't require work. I can even teach you a Bible study and not even get into no relationship with you because I'm teaching because I got knowledge. I'm just teaching. Doesn't require work. Disciple making requires work. A lot of work. So that's why it's being sidestepped. That's why we're overlooking it. That's why we're not implementing it because disciple making is relational. And it requires for us to establish and maintain a relationship with the person in which whom we are trying to disciple. Mm. Making disciples was the Lord's plan even before he revealed himself as the man, Christ Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 40. Verse number three, the word of God says, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Isaiah prophesied that, but he didn't know what he was prophesying. But guess what? Later on in Matthew chapter three, here come John the Baptist that is being used as the forerunner of Christ, and he was declaring exactly what Isaiah declared in Isaiah chapter 40. In Matthew chapter 3, verse number 1, the scripture says, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. So John the Baptist was just declaring what Isaiah had prophesied. 
John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He introduced to the public, watch this, what was to come and he who was to come. He introduced the disciple-making process to the then world. Did you think about that? That John the Baptist was ahead of Christ, before Christ, the forerunner of Christ in the physical, in the natural, uh, not in the spiritual. But he was before him because he was the forerunner. He was introducing something that we weren't familiar with and he was the one God was using to do it. John and Jesus both came out of the wilderness to launch their ministries. It is remarkable that John made disciples within a short time who were loyal to him and his message. So John the Baptist was making disciples before Jesus came on the scene making disciples. That's important to know. All right. In fact, Paul discovered disciples of John some 20 years after his beheading and found them to be yet following in the footsteps of their rabbi. So here is why disciple making is so powerful. In Acts chapter 19, verse number 1, it says this, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. Somebody say disciples. Mean that they believe in Christ, right? So here's Paul. Paul said unto those disciples that he found, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, unto John's baptism. These were disciples of John that believed in what John taught them, that was living according to what John taught them. And so as much as the gospel had started propagating throughout the region in that time, these disciples of John stayed loyal to John. Hmm. And so Paul then said, what then, Paul then said, Paul then said, John barely baptized with, with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. So Paul is trying to show them that great, and we have to learn this as Christians, especially as apostolic Christians. Listen to people carefully. Again, if you're going to be relational, you got to listen real good. You can't listen to speak. You got to listen to listen. And so when you are listening to people, you have to listen intently. And so Paul listened because if you will listen to people, you will know exactly how to respond to them because you have the Holy Spirit in you as you are listening. And so Paul let them speak. And Paul showed them, that's fine what you have experienced so far. 
But that wasn't sufficient. There is more that you need to experience, and so Paul went on to talk to them about it. Same thing with Cornelius. We need to not make people feel like uh, we know that there are many people that are going to churches that are not baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Some churches don't believe that baptism is even important. Some places don't believe that having the gift of the Holy Ghost and speaking with tongues, as the Bible says, is important. They just believe that just having a relationship with Christ and going to church and doing these things that churches say you need to do, they feel like they're saved. And when you hear those people Please don't discourage them and make them feel like they're not okay. Your job and my job is to show them that there is more to their salvation. There's more to them being deeper in Christ. There's more to them maturing in Christ. And then you start to show them the more. But don't discount what they've already experienced. We have to really be good at that. Because if I'm an intelligent being and and you have to bash my church to give me truth I don't want to hear from you oh come on now if you're going to come talk to me I'm a faithful guy at my church and you know a little bit more you understand a little bit more and so you're going to come talk to me and the first thing you say is well your church don't preach the truth our church do, so let me explain it to you. I don't want to hear from you. Get out of here. We have to consider these things. You can't offend people and then try to win them. You have to make friends with people. This is what discipleship is all about. Work. Again, we don't want to work. I'm busy. I got a family. I got this going on. I got that going on. And all I got to tell you is this. I don't care how busy you are. Go and prioritize your life according to what God says. And you will see that you will work it all out. It will all fit. But what we try to do is to keep our normal schedule and then fit God in. And that will always keep you busy. It will never work. If you are busy and you hear me talking and in your mind you're like, I hear you preaching, but you don't understand. I got this going and that going. Well, let me say this to you. Stop for a second and prioritize the kingdom of God first and you'll see the things that you had going on, you will get them going, taking care of them just the same, but it will be so much easier in what you're doing because you put God first. But fitting God in don't work through you. It doesn't help you. So because you hear me talking, now you figure, okay, he's saying some stuff that's true. It's in the Bible, so I need to get with it. And now you try to fit God in. Not the way. God must be the first thing that you seek every day. God must be the one who is in front, in the middle, and behind in your life. Everything else needs to revolve around him, not you doing your stuff and then you bring him along. It won't work that way. It will only frustrate you. And so Paul is talking to them. When they heard what Paul had to say, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. You know why they got baptized? Because Paul didn't make them feel like they didn't know what they were doing. He didn't make them feel less than, you know, who they were. He treated them nice. He just showed them that there were more for them to experience. 
And when Paul showed it to them that way, they got re-baptized. So if you need scripture to say, oh, you know what? It's okay to get rebaptized. This is the scripture that tells you you can get rebaptized if you got baptized in a way that's different from what Jesus said you needed to be baptized in. This was, you know how uh, I like to say, if you can find someone that was baptized in the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, I'll give you $1,000. So this was the only baptism other than the true baptism that's mentioned in the New Testament. The Father, Son, Holy Ghost don't even fit anywhere in Scripture in the New Testament. Nobody got baptized, but people got baptized according to the baptism of repentance, which was introduced to people by John the Baptist. So for all the people that are Baptists, and they're going to refer back to John the Baptist, what we need to say is, listen, John the Baptist was awesome. He was the forerunner of Jesus, and people got baptized according to John, and at the time, that was great. However, even some of John's disciples realized that they had to now get baptized, rebaptized in the name of Jesus Christ because Jesus is the one who died for our sins, and we need to take on his name and not the name of John. We get, them, we get them there, but we're not making them feel terrible. And then if they said, I don't understand it, then you can show them in the scripture that even some of John the Baptist's disciples got re-baptized. So it's okay to re-baptize. Verse number 6 says, And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Speaking with tongues is okay. Some people still battle with that. And for some people, the reason why they battle with that is because, you know, they, they, they're concerned if it's going to make them behave differently when the Spirit of God is moving and they're speaking. Listen, you can't worry about stuff you have no control over. I say that all the time. Let's not worry about the things we have no control over. And the things we have control over, why worry about them? Because we can do something about it. That, may, that means we don't have nothing to worry about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, y'all don't want to talk to me about that. If we will just ignore the things that we have no control over and just let them be, because we have no control over them, and the things that we have control over, that's not quite what they need to be, and we will just do something about it and, and make sure it's right, then we don't really have any reasons to be worrying all right, y'all don't believe in that one. I'll keep going. Jesus' disciples also lasted beyond the life of their short-lived rabbi. And they endured to the end as they eventually all died in the faith. John introduced Jesus to the world as... Okay, see why you don't mess with these things? I don't know how it came on. Don't know how it came on. I'm hearing music. I'm like, what's this? It's, it's good stuff, though. Good Christian stuff. But Oh, boy. So John introduced Jesus to the world as was the privilege of every rabbi to introduce his disciples. 
John said that Jesus must increase and he himself must decrease. Now let me take my time so you get this. The true spirit of a rabbi is a rabbi who's desiring his student to exceed and him in every way decrease. So when you be, when, just for lack of a better word according to scripture, when you are a rabbi and you take a student under your wing and you begin to make a disciple, the ultimate goal is for them to become better than you were. As it is in the natural, so is it, so it is in the spiritual. Who don't want their children to grow up and be better than them? So don't miss it. So it's the same thing when you begin to disciple someone. The right spirit is, I want to do enough or give enough of myself in this situation that this person will one day do greater things that I'm doing. That's not popular in the selfish world. That's just unpopular. But remember, I used to say this to you all the time. When I stood in that firehouse, God showed me something. And what he showed me was, Wayne, when you went to church, you nor the pastor understood what I was going to do in your life. No one knew but me. He said, if that's true, and it is, you need to look at everybody that come through that door like they could be Wayne. Because you don't know, you didn't know what was going to happen in your life. So how do you know who I'm going to raise up and do great things in? Who, how do you know? And the answer is, I don't know, Lord. So that's why he wants me or you or any one of us that are children of God to see everybody as God will do something great in their life. And so that's why you can't hold back and you got to do everything you can to help them be the best version of the man or woman that they're supposed to be in Christ. Can't worry about you. You got to realize God's got a plan for them. And God wants to fulfill his plan in their life. We typically do not think of Jesus of having a rabbi or mentor in his life, but from a human standpoint, it is entirely possible that John was used in some way influentially to represent the rabbi and student concept. Now, we know that Jesus is God, and John knew that, but let's put this on Jesus. Jesus is always so good about what he does that he obeys the law. He fulfills the law. And so Jesus never made himself bigger than the law. Did you realize, realize that? I was talking last night um, in our discipleship class. People will always ask the question, why was Jesus praying to the Father? If he's the father, that always comes up, you know, no matter how much you explain it, people will always, every time you say it, people will always, the, 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 the juices start flowing and they want to know. And the best way I can continue to explain it 
is Jesus is the example of who we are supposed to be. I said it last Sunday. He is our destiny. If he just functioned as God and never as man, he could not be a good example. Think about it. If, if when he came, he stepped on the scene and just tell everybody, I'm God Almighty, I'm the one who forgives sin, then he wouldn't need to pray. He wouldn't need to, to do so many of the things that he did. But what he did was he submitted as human to all of the laws, which mean if you're human and you're living a Christian life, shouldn't you pray? So he had to pray, not because he needed to pray, but because he was the best example that we would ever see and have. He went through the process of showing what we are supposed to be striving to be like. So when the Bible says that he prayed to the father, he just prayed so we understood that as man, mankind, we need to pray. Can you imagine us? We're so hypocritical. All we need was for Jesus to come on the scene and never pray. I ain't got to pray. Jesus ain't pray. I'm telling I just can't see. He can't win, man. I mean, I'm sure Jesus just sit around and just like, here they go. No matter how much I try to help, they come up with some garbage. And I'm sure he just rub his head sometimes and be like, whatever, because you just can't. No matter how much he tries to help us, we, we, we don't want the help. We're always rejecting or pushing back or, or doing something to, to, to not receive what he's trying to give to us. But all he was doing was being the best example for us so we understood we needed to be submissive. We needed to submit ourselves to the authority that's in our life, which is Almighty God. And he was showing us that. Well, hope you get it. And so... Jesus, obviously, is God Almighty in the flesh, but he was allowing John's example to be an example of how a rabbi would introduce his student on the scene, right? And so that's kind of how it was seen. In other places in Scripture, it's demonst- the, 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 the demonst- in scripture demonstrate elements of the rabbi-disciple motif. When Elijah was caught up in the horse-drawn chariot of fire, he dropped his mantle upon Elisha. Elisha went straight to the river. He had just miraculously passed through with his rabbi and performed the exact same action. He smote the water and cried out, where is the Lord of Elijah? Listen, what explosive growth every church would experience if every believer made one disciple per year. But there is something even more dynamic than that. What if every disciple maker stayed with that disciple until each one in turn began to make disciples? So I decided that I have to, like, get down to the nitty-gritty tonight and do this. We're going to make disciple. This is what it looks like. Hey, my name is Wayne. How are you? 
What's your name? Chuby, nice to meet you. You work here, Chuby? Well, I'm telling you, man, you look like you're doing a great job. Doing a great job. But it was nice meeting you. I might pop in from time to time just to say hello. Seemed like such a nice guy. Done. I keep going back, keep going back, keep going back. And before you know it, Chuby and I become friends. Again, work. Never introduced. I never said nothing about God. I just talk to him nicely and speak encouraging words to him. Man, you always see, you, you must like your job because you do it well. I'm telling you, this is what it is. Takes work. It might be, you know, that's the, my, my, not my style. Now, this is just one situation. It could be someone you sit next to at work. It could be many different situations, but God will give you an opportunity to make a disciple within the scope of who you are. He can work a little bit differently with me because he knows, you know, I'm always talking. So I can, I can do this. I can stop at somebody, you know, go to a, you know, business and talk to somebody. Before you know it, I'm, I'm befriending them and we're going on and going on and stuff like that. So I'm talking to Chuby and I'm talking to Chuby. And eventually Chuby's going to ask me, what are you up to? We're, we're, you, you seem to, you know, yeah. And I'm going to say, listen, I, that's not important. But I tell you what is important. Man, I gave my life to Christ some years ago. And I'm telling you, my life just got changed so powerfully that I see people differently now, man. I, it just, oh, I just can't tell you what has happened to me when my life got just totally changed by the Lord. So where do you go to church? Ask me where I go to church. Where do you go to church? Oh, man, I go to this church in Hamilton, Christ Center Church. It, we just have such a great time. Ask me, can you come? Yeah, you can come with me anytime you'd like. I would, you know, if you would like for me to pick you up, you don't have to drive. Or if you just want to drive up, it's up to you. Okay, so I come and pick you up on Sunday. Watch this. I got to get you all like this. I'm a praise singer. Stay right there, brother. Chubby. I'm a praise singer. And so Sunday morning, praise singing, you know what I mean? Uh, we start at 1030, and I got to go get him about 10, 10, 10. Because stop trying to make people live your life when they just start trying to come to church. We just do some crazy things. But I got to sing, so I'm going to get them about 9.45, and I'm going to pick them up, and so they'll sit down, you know, so I can be there in time. So you go get them at 9.45, you get to church at 10 o'clock, and now they got to sit in church from 10 to 10.30, and now if the church go till 12.30, you know what? Two and a half hours, I ain't coming back. Y'all got to use some wisdom, man. We're trying to, we're trying to do, make disciples. So what you got to say is, Ethan, uh, you know, I, I met this person. They want me to pick them up. Um, I don't know if y'all can go the first round without me. And so you try to get the person to the church about 10, 15, 10, 20. That's a good example. 10, 15, 10, 20. Don't get it at 10, 30, but don't get there so early. And so they come 10, 15, 10, 20. You know, maybe you can make it on praise singer. Maybe you can't till the second round. So be it. Because this is more important than singing. We don't like that, but that's the gospel. Seek first the kingdom. It's nice to sing. It's nice to praise God. It's nice to have music and all that. But this is more important than that. 
And we have to start balancing that because there are people that probably could be in church, but because of our duties in church, they're not here. Because our duty is more important. The soul is more important. And so if I do it right, Truby, be, you know, Truby and I become friends and everything like that. And now we start, you know, and things are going good. And, you know, before you know it, I said, you know what, Truby? Because we talk now all the time. I call him up. We exchange numbers. All that stuff going on. And boom, boom. Next week he come by. He come and bring his family. I don't have to go pick him up. But now he knows exactly what time to come. 10, 15, 10, 20. And so now he brings his family and his wife and his kids. And he even brings some grandkids. And we're still talking. And he started asking me more about my walk with God. And I tell him, man, you know the best way, the best thing that can help? If you let me teach your family a personal Bible study, I can come to your home, your grandkids, wherever you want to be. And we can do something there. And we're just teaching the Bible study. And we're doing the Bible study. And before you know it, Chuby gets saved. His whole household gets saved. Now they're coming to church, they're faithful. I still hold on to Chuby. It takes about one year to disciple one person. One year, calendar year, to disciple one person. And I need to stay with Truby until Truby repeat what I did for Truby. I can't leave him till then. I asked Brother White, Warren White, about that. I stuck with him till the day he realized he had what it took to do what I did for him. And that's when I said, okay, you're good. Because now he's doing the same thing. He became a disciple, not just a churchgoer. Thank you, Brother Chuby. That's what God is asking for every one of us. This don't have anything to do with how much I know the scripture or you know, nothing to do. If you know how to be friendly with somebody, that's all that's necessary. You do it in your own way. I just described my way to you. I'm telling you, you do it in your own way. And again, some of you can meet people in the streets. Some of you might sit next to people at work. Some of you might have a neighbor. Whatever it is, you know, you might have a girlfriend that, that you and her have been cool. She never really got in the church, but you all still cool. Just any kind of situation that God will present for you to reach someone to disciple them. Brother Tim just got baptized. His journey just started. He needs to have somebody that he's close to all the time because that's not his end goal where he is today. He needs somebody that he can that, that can that he can trust to talk to and say stuff to. The end game of being a Christian, excluding the rapture, is not just to get saved. That's not the end game. The end game of being a Christian in the first century was more than just to bring others to faith in Christ. Their pattern took discipline one step further by modeling Christ-like practice alongside disciples until they themselves began to make disciples. The end game, besides the rapture for us, is reproducing ourselves in others is the end game for every Christian reproducing ourselves in somebody else. You think it's a coincidence? 
Why? Let me use women because men just, they, don't, they won't acknowledge this, but women will acknowledge this. You think it's a coincidence that you're born and all your life, ladies, you just always sense that, you know, you want to have children and you want to be a mother and you want to be a wife and all of this stuff. You think it's a coincidence? No, it's natural. It's a natural thing in you that this is what you want. And all your life, not all your life, but a lot of your life is being spent building up to that point. This is why weddings are so important, because you spend a good amount of your time building up to that part, which is to reproduce yourself. Think about this. You reproduce, this is in the natural now, you reproduce yourself when a man and a woman have a child, you just reproduce yourself. And everybody look forward to that. Man, yeah, I got my boy. Women, yeah, I got my child. They don't care if it's a girl or boy, but man want his boy. But all of us as humans, most of us as humans, normally are, are, are building ourselves up to one day reproduce ourselves. Because that's the end game in life. And then, for those of us that know this, Brother Henry, then when you get the grandkids, you're really just like, oh my goodness. Because you realize now it's another generation of me being reproduced. And you're like, my goodness, I feel, you feel special because you reproduce children and then your children reproduce children. That's the natural cycling life. God gave us that and God is so good that he set up his spiritual kingdom just the same way. We need to reproduce ourselves spiritually. And when we reproduce ourselves spiritually, the person we reproduce ourselves in, they need to reproduce too. And the cycle continues. That's what God is expecting from us. That's the end game as a Christian, aside from the rapture, is reproducing yourself as a Christian. That's what disciple making is all about. And it takes time. Somebody say time. We see the model of spiritual reproduction unfold in the book of Acts and throughout the epistles. Paul said, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. John wrote, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Peter wrote that Christ left a model so that you should follow his steps. Ananias and Barnabas they teamed up together to make a disciple out of the apostle Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus. Apollos, Priscilla, and Aquila took Apollos aside and explained the way of God more accurately. New believers or underdeveloped Christians were nurtured by leaders and mature believers in hopes of developing their maturity in Christ. The other thing, and I'm getting ready to take it down, but the other thing that keeps us from making disciples is that we don't want to change. Your flaws will come to the forefront when you are attempting to make disciples and you can either deal with that flaw 
and get it right, or you can just not make disciple and keep your flaw going. And most people hold on to their flaw and don't make disciples. Because when you become a disciple maker, you make yourself vulnerable. People see you and they can criticize you and you have to be okay with it. You have to be okay with making mistakes. You have to be okay with getting your feelings hurt. So much of it. And so, so many of us decide later for that. I don't want to go through all that. So we never make disciples. And you stop and you never stop and think and realize maybe that's the way that God is going to work out my flaw. We always want to look at it as it's, you know, the challenge of a situation and not stop and think about maybe that's the way the Lord will work out my flaws by me interacting with someone that I'm trying to help to, to grow and mature in Christ. And be, in, in, in me doing that, I'm able to realize some of the things that's going on in my life that I need to deal with. For instance, I, might not, I don't like for people to tell me no. And so when I hear no, I shut down. Well, making disciples, one of the things that's, you know, interesting about making disciples is people are raw and they're not polished, church polished. And so they just kind of call it like they see it. And sometimes that's going to hurt your feelings or sometimes that's going to make you feel like, man. But you have to be okay with it. You have to be okay with it. That's how you make disciples. And so, when Jesus talked to disciples about being fruitful in John 15, he said that he was divine and they were the branches. He let them know that without him, they could do nothing. I got to make sure that clock is right. They can do nothing. <laughs> and that whether uh, their connectedness to the vine, uh, that it was a prerequisite to becoming fruitful. There are many ways that mature believers can become fruitful. The most obvious, some of us cop out like this. Watch this. Check this out. Because I'm going to deal with how some of us spiritualize things. The most obvious fruit we can bear in the, is the fruit of the Spirit, which we find in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. So when we talk about bearing fruit, some people don't want to make disciples. So they said, well, look at Galatians. That's how you bear fruit. True. We can also bear fruit of the gifts of the Spirit, which we see in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. So between the fruit of the Spirit and uh, uh, the, the gifts of the fruit of the Spirit, those things can flow from our life. That's fine. As we mature in Christ, we will become faithful to God's house. We will pray. We will spend time in the Word. We will begin to demonstrate a character, a character or nature and attitude that is Christ-like. We will give our tithes, we will give our offering, and we will get involved in ministry. There is not a pastor in the world who would not love to have a congregation of believers manifesting the fruit that has been described, that I just described. 
However, there is more fruit to bear. And the fruit to bear is making disciples. Consider that the maturity described above is actually the fruit of Christ in us. The radical change in spiritual development within us is the fruitfulness of Jesus Christ in us. But what is the fruit of your life in others? If you are a child of God and you are living for God, some way, somehow, what is in you needs to be in somebody else as well. It can't just be in you. Because we already clarify that in the natural, I.J. is an offspring. He's got, you, you are in I.J. So, so it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. Who spiritually has some of you in them? It's natural. But we want to make it some other kind of thing. But it's natural. It's natural. I cannot give anyone patience, gentleness, peace, love, joy, or any Christ-like characteristics. If the fruit of my life is to be demonstrated in some tangible way, and if I cannot personally give or reproduce within anyone the fruit of Christ that is manifested in me, then what fruit can I bear? I believe the fruitfulness Jesus was talking about in John 15 also involves the fruitfulness of making disciples. Jesus employed the metaphor of the vine, the branch, and fruit. The ultimate goal of being fruitful is to reproduce, contained within every living thing, is the ability to reproduce itself. Without the ability to reproduce, any species will become extinct within one generation. So if we don't reproduce, what? Ain't nobody going to be living for God? God has called us to make disciples. Making disciples should be a natural, should be as natural as a grape reproducing grapes or as a husband and wife reproducing children. Disciples are being made every day all over this world, but for some other purposes. The church must rise up and counter the anti-God and anti-biblical disciple making by reproducing Biblical values, principles, and practices in other disciples. Proverbs 22 and 6 instructs parents to train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart. The language carries the idea of the uh, parents placing the correct choices within their child. The word train means to narrow, initiate, or disciple. Good parenting early in a child's life establishes the character that will help them to make the right choices in order to keep them on the right track. Some behavioral psychologists suggest that a child's character is formed by his or her seventh 
birthday. Some of us are waiting until they become adolescent. We're waiting until they become teenager before we start telling them stuff. But from the time they were born to seven years old is when most of their character is formed. Can we go spiritual? Because I, 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 I don't want that to go over your head. That's natural. So let's think about spiritual. From the day they get born again, the first few years of being born again is how we will help them to have godly characteristics to shape, help shape them in the way that they must go. It's the same concept. Train up a child. When they're first born again, they are children in the faith. They could be 100 years old. When you get born again, you are a child in the faith. And you need to treat them as a child, which means the first few years of them being born again, they need to be discipled. We need to be establishing good character in them, godly character. So, so, so when they get older and they become comfortable in who they are as Christians and different things start happening, guess what? The characters already is formed in them, are already formed in them where they now can just revert back to say, no, that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. No, that's not right. Because it was all formed in them from the day they were born. So when they get five years in and ten years in, they can still make it because when they were first born again, they were trained up the right way. That's the reason why so many people get baptized. They even receive the Holy Ghost. And you wondering, what happened? Why did they walk away from the church? Why we don't see them anymore? Because we never trained them. We never discipled them. Being baptized and being filled with the Spirit don't mean they're ready. It means they need training. And when we train them, they will become a citizen, a, a, a productive citizen, and they will make disciples of themselves as well. And we won't be worrying, what happened? Man, they look like they were doing so good. Yeah. How you know they were doing good? Were you, were you doing anything to make sure they was good? Just saying. The lesson for pastors and the local church is that we need to teach, train, demonstrate, and model disciple-making behavior in our new believers immediately after their new birth. There are no special formulas, secrets, or shortcuts to grow in a local church. If you are truly growing the kingdom of God by making disciple, then I can tell you, plain as day, is hard work. Ain't no other way to do it. It's hard work. But that's what God called us to do. But it's hard work, but it's probably the most profitable way to live for God. It's the most profitable way, the most rewarding way to live for God. When you set your mind on, I'm going to do it God's way. I am going to make a disciple of Christ. When we do it like that, it will be the most beneficial and profitable way for all of us, and we ought to go and do it. It's not hard. I'm not telling you go knock on nobody's door. I'm not telling you go pass out no flyer. If you want to do that, that's fine. We have a team that does that, and we will continue to do that. But that's not how you make disciples. Making disciples is befriending someone 
with the intention in your mind and your heart, I am going to lock arms with this person for a good little while. We're going to be friends. I'm going to be there for them. I'm going to be able to be one that can be a blessing to them. And you hold on to that and you tell yourself for the next year, this is what I'm going to be doing. I'm not, I'm not going to worry about anything else that's going on. This is what I'm going to be doing. And when they get it and they start doing it, then you can go on to the next person brand new and do it. Let's stand. We're called to make disciples of Christ. That's the way that Jesus expects for his church to grow and for his kingdom to expand. No other way. Again, we can use all kinds of methods. We can try all kinds of things. And some of it might produce some good stuff. But the most successful way, the best way, not the good way, not the okay way, the best way to reach the loss is to make disciples. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. I pray, Lord Jesus, that everything that you allow me to speak here tonight will go into our heart and take root and grow and produce the fruit that you want us to produce. I pray, Lord God, that you'll remove from all of our thoughts and from all of our heart, Lord God, timidity, that we will not be timid, that we will not, oh God, be fearful, perfect love, cast out all fear, that we will not be timid and we will not be fearful to make disciples. But I pray that somebody will be sparked by the Holy Ghost. Somebody will be quickened by the Holy Ghost to say, I'm going to make a disciple. I am going to give myself to discipleship. For Lord, if it's the best way that you have established for us, then let me be a disciple maker. Use me, Lord, to make a disciple. Use me, Lord, to reproduce myself. Oh, God, I pray tonight that somebody will be stirred. That somebody, Lord God, will hear what the Spirit is saying and go out from this place, Lord God, with a different outlook, with a different mindset to say, I'm going to make a disciple for Christ. I'm going to do what God told me to do. For this is necessary and this is a command of the Lord. This is what I must do to live the life that is pleasing unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray tonight that the word will take hold and take root and that you will move upon us in a special, special way that we will truly carry out the instructions of the word ministered here tonight, Lord God. Lord, I pray that we will receive your word tonight. Somebody receive the word of the Lord by faith. Receive the word of the Lord by faith. Father, we receive your word tonight by faith. And we will be doers of your word and not just hearers only. As we go from this place tonight, Lord, will you continue to let what we've heard, let it, Lord God, continue to reverberate in our mind and our heart that we will go forward and do what you have instructed us to do. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity and this privilege. As we go from this place, let your protection continue to be upon us, your hands be upon us, and let your glory fill our houses and reign in our lives. We thank you tonight. 
and all these things we pray and ask you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Let us all say amen. Amen. On your way out, if you would like, be a blessing. Give. Brother Henry, thank you.